It's spring at Dartmouth Harbour in 1189. Mingling with the salt spray, there's excitement in the air. Ropes are creaking and good-humoured sailors are bantering as they make their final preparations to a fleet of ships. The weather is fine for sailing and all aboard hope it'll stay that way for weeks to come. The passengers are buzzing. They've packed for a long journey, a very long one, to a land that almost none of them have ever seen. Some are singing hymns, some are praying. Others are saying their final farewells to loved ones. However they're getting ready, the one thing that they all have in common is a cross sewn onto the right shoulder of their cloak. They're crusaders, and they're off to fight Saladin, the powerful sultan of Egypt and Syria. Their mission is to prevent him from wiping out the kingdom of Jerusalem and maybe even to win back the holy city itself from Muslim control. As if that's not enough excitement for one trip, there's a stop planned en route to the Holy Lands. Down in Portugal, Christians and Muslims are also at war. In a few weeks, these crusaders will stop off there to see if they can help. This is the adventure of a lifetime. Remember, everyone involved will have their sins wiped out as reward for their participation, fast-tracking them into heaven when they die. For a medieval Christian, living in fear of eternal damnation, that's an extremely enticing prospect. They couldn't ask for much more. Although, maybe there is something more. Nearly 18 months ago, the English king Henry Plantagenet and the French king Philip Augustus solemnly swore that they would put aside their various beefs and lead the crusade together. A few months before that, Henry's eldest son Richard had also made his vows. Since then, the French and Plantagenet rulers have been taxing their subjects harshly and talking a big game about the crusade, yet they don't seem to be anywhere near going. In fact, instead of dropping everything to go and fight the Holy War, they seem to have reverted to business as usual. Far from focusing all their efforts on Saladin like they promised, they've been squabbling over all their long-standing family disputes and trying to get one over on each other. All things considered, these so-called crusade leaders are not looking the part. In Dartmouth Harbour, the sailors make the last checks of the boats, hauling up the anchors, unfurling the great square sails and tugging at the oars that will get them out of the harbour and onto the open sea. The crusaders on board, though, might just be whispering a nagging question to one another. We're going to the Holy Land. We're going to fight Saladin. But where exactly are the big guys with the crowns and the money and the power? Are they coming with us? Or are we going solo? Crusading was supposed to be the glue that bound the Plantagenets together, which recast them and their French rivals as the saviours of all Christendom. 
but it looks increasingly like nothing can keep this family from doing what they do best. Bickering, fighting, destroying the things they've put so much time and sweat and blood into creating, and leaving their people to pick up the pieces. The Plantagenet story is finally entering its endgame, and absolutely nobody is safe. I'm Dan Jones, and from Something Else and Sony Music Entertainment, this is History, a dynasty to die for. Episode 23, Face Off. At the end of our last episode, it was January 1188, and Richard, Henry and Philip Augustus had all finally signed up to the crusading movement. They'd agreed to put their differences aside and travel together. It felt like Saladin had it coming. Yet after the initial excitement, there was a lot of organising, but not a lot of actual departing. What was going on? Well, the first thing to say is that preparing to go on crusade is genuinely a big job. A huge job. Raising the men is one thing. For a king or prince, hundreds of warriors is no good. Thousands isn't much better. A proper royal crusading army needs to number in the tens of thousands. And all those men need weapons, transport, food and drink. That means finding dozens of ships, thousands of horses, bows and arrows, flat pack catapults and siege towers, salted meat and cheeses, barrels of ale and wine, and other long-life provisions that won't go rotten within a week of setting out. You also need to recruit support staff. Think medics and priests, accountants and scribes. You need to plan your route via friendly realms, where you can expect not only to be welcomed, but to find markets where you can keep your supplies stocked up. You need to have some basic understanding of who your enemy is, how they operate, what their strengths and weaknesses are. You get the idea. It's not a case of sticking a few bits in a suitcase and saying, OK, bye, I'm off crusading, see you soon. Just getting ready to go on crusade is a long, expensive and logistically challenging business. So on one level, that's what's been going on in the time between the big three agreeing to all go crusading in January 1188 and the folk we met at Dartmouth setting off without their royal leaders in spring 1189. But that's not the whole story. Because there's preparing thoroughly and then there's dragging your heels. Henry II is doing a combination of the two things. It's true that he's finally bitten the bullet and is publicly committed to going to Jerusalem. But throughout his reign, people have remarked on his willingness to drag out dealing with political issues he's not 100% invested in. He understands that sometimes circumstances can change if you just leave things alone for a while, offering you a new way out. His son Richard, on the other hand, is from a different generation – and has his own way of doing things. To Richard, you work out what you want, 
and make everything else fit around it, ignoring all the squares and losers who tell you it's too costly, too ambitious or too... stupid. So as 1188 drags on, the slowness of the preparation starts to get on Richard's nerves. And it causes exactly the sort of political friction between Henry, Richard and Philip that all going on crusade together was supposed to prevent. The problems start, as is so often the case, with seemingly unremarkable events. In the spring of 1188, two loyal Plantagenet knights are making their way back through southern France, following a pilgrimage to the great Christian shrine at Santiago de Compostela in northwest Spain. The road back from Santiago leads over the Pyrenees and down into lands ruled by the Count of Toulouse. Relations between successive Counts of Toulouse and the Plantagenets has never been rosy. The Plantagenets reckon the Counts ought to obey their orders as Dukes of neighbouring Aquitaine. The Counts beg to differ. Not so long ago, one of the Counts' men had taken a couple of Plantagenet merchants captive and had them blinded and castrated. There's been some tit-for-tat hostage-taking since then, and things are, to say the least, a little tense. So these two Plantagenet knights ought to have steered clear of the Count's lands. But they didn't, and they end up being taken prisoner. Richard, either frustrated at the lack of progress on the Crusade, or just because he's Richard, decides he's not standing for it. He gets together a warband of vicious Flemish mercenaries and launches some lightning raids around Toulouse. Taking out all his pent-up anger on the Count, he manages to take 17 castles, and before long is knocking on the gates of Toulouse itself. Panicking, the Count squeals to Philip Augustus and begs him to intervene. But Philip isn't in any mood to antagonise or alienate Richard and risk driving him back into his father's arms. Remember, the French king has been carefully nurturing his relationship with the Plantagenet heir. Instead, Philip passes the buck and sends the Count's complaint to Henry himself. Henry, diplomatically, says he certainly didn't tell his son to go crazy down in Toulouse, and nothing happening down there is official Plantagenet policy. That turns out to be a big mistake, because while it may have sounded like a neutral, non-committal answer from Henry, Richard takes it as a massive slap in the face. First, his dad seems to be obstructing the crusade, and now this it feels like Henry is again failing to support him in his ambitions. He huffs and puffs and broods on it. In the background, Philip, who's every bit as sneaky as Henry, just smiles to himself. He's reminded Richard that his father isn't always totally behind him. And he's reminded Henry that Richard is a loose cannon who causes just as much trouble as he solves. All Philip has to do is let that stew a little and then strike. He senses that the last strands of family loyalty holding the Plantagenets together are fraying. 
Crusade or no crusade, he can't resist the temptation of cutting them for good. When Henry III chose his royal advisers, he ended up with some very untrustworthy power grabbers, which led to poor management decisions, rebellions, and at least one person in prison. Why didn't he use Indeed? Well, Indeed wasn't around back then, but it is today. Indeed is the ultimate hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and matching technology that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. When I was hiring, I didn't use Indeed either and the process was very slow and stressful, so I wish I had. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a £100 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Dynasty. Indeed.com slash Dynasty. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, not, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. Okay. If these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. In August 1188, a team of French woodcutters steady their axes and begin to hack into a giant, ancient elm tree standing at Gisors. For as long as anyone can remember, this old tree has marked a symbolic talking spot for kings of France and dukes of Normandy, where the rulers can come to thrash out their differences. For the last three days... Philip Augustus and Henry have been sitting under its branches trying to come to an agreement. The fallout from Richard's attacks on the Count of Toulouse is still rumbling on. Philip has taken the Count's side and invaded some Plantagenet lands in retaliation, and Henry's raided some of Philip's lands to get him back for that, and, 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 and... Basically, it's the same old, same old except that against the backdrop of the crusade, or non-crusade at this point, tensions are running unusually high. So, when the negotiations break up without any solid conclusion, Philip decides to flex. He calls in the woodsmen and orders them to destroy the old talking tree for good. It's a symbolic act. I don't quite think he's saying that there can never be peace ever again between the French kings and the Plantagenets, but he's saying that the old ways of doing things will have to go. Or maybe the old people are going to have to go. Henry is only 55 years old at this point, hardly geriatric, even by medieval standards. But from the summer of 1188... Philip starts to treat him like yesterday's man. 
Sure, their joint commitment to crusading still stands, but Philip reverts to the tactics that he was pursuing before the fall of Jerusalem. He cozies up as hard as he can to Richard and does everything he can to convince Richard that his father is working against him. He spreads the rumour far and wide that Henry is thinking of disinheriting Richard and signing over his entire empire to the 21-year-old John. He feeds Richard the idea that it's entirely Henry's fault that the crusade hasn't happened, because the old guy is the one holding up peace between their families. This is a pretty biased version of events, but there's a kernel of truth. And just as importantly, the narrative Philip is selling plays to all of Richard's insecurities and desires. He's ready to believe in it. In November, the three men have one more go at making peace so they can go crusading. With the old elm tree at Gisors gone, this time they meet at a place called Bonmoulin. Philip turns up with Richard at his side, which immediately puts Henry in a bad mood. Then Philip makes an apparently generous offer of peace. He suggests that Richard can hang on to everything he's taken from the Count of Toulouse if Richard will, at long last, marry Philip's sister Alice, to whom he's been engaged for years. Meanwhile, Henry will force all the barons in the Plantagenet Empire to swear loyalty to Richard. Then they can all kiss and make up and get going with the whole Jerusalem thing. Sounds reasonable, right? Well, it's supposed to, and to Richard, it very much does. For reasons that remain unclear, he's ambivalent about marrying Alice, but he'll do it if it means the crusade can go ahead. Plus, the prospect of being officially confirmed as king-in-waiting is very appealing to him. But to Henry, the proposed deal is an abomination. Richard's marriage to Alice has been put off for so long that it's become a running joke. But now is the worst time imaginable to go through with it. It'll tie Richard and Philip together as brothers, putting a marital seal on an alliance that now looks blatantly anti-Henry. As for the barons swearing loyalty to Richard, well, come on. Henry may as well retire to a monastery. It would make him completely irrelevant. So Henry stamps his feet and says he damn well won't be blackmailed. That's exactly the reaction Philip was hoping for. The French king can just open a bag of popcorn and enjoy as negotiations for French Plantagenet peace turn into a familiar Plantagenet versus Plantagenet row. The argument climaxes with Richard saying that if Henry's going to be like that, then he's going to swear loyalty to the King of France instead. Mad with rage, Richard throws his sword and belt on the floor, kneels in front of Philip and says he'll be guided by his advice from now on. Philip solemnly accepts Richard's promise, but inside he must be cackling. Henry storms away to put his castles all over the empire into defensive mode, Richard and Philip swan off together to talk smack about the old king behind his back and nurse Richard's long list of grievances. And still, no one goes on crusade. 
So that's the backstory behind the scene in Dartmouth Harbour in 1189. No wonder the other crusaders in England have decided they're just going to have to set off on their own and hope the useless kings catch them up. Well, as it turns out, the kings will catch them up. And when they do, the crusade will be one of the most spectacular events in all of medieval history. There's just one catch. It won't be three kings coming to Jerusalem, it'll be two. Because by the time this argument is through and all the roadblocks to fighting Saladin have fallen, one of these three great rulers will be dead. To find out who, come back next time for our dramatic final episode of This Is History. As always, if you're craving more Plantagenet drama, I've got you covered. Join me on This Is History Plus, where every Thursday I release an extra episode revealing the weird details, fun facts and fascinating subplots we don't have time for in the main story. And on top of that, as a subscriber you'll get all our episodes ad-free. Just visit This Is History on Apple Podcasts and click Try Free at the top of the page to start your free trial today. Or visit thisishistorypod.com to get access wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, if you're enjoying the show, please do give us a rating or review. It's a great way to support us and help new people find the podcast.